Okay. Uh, anyone want to open with prayer? You don't have to. I can. I will. Okay. By the way, hi, Hannah. <laughs> Is it recording already? Should be. Hi, Hannah. Hi. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Hannah. Okay. We'll pray. Okay. <laughs> Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us here tonight, for giving us this opportunity uh, to talk about hospitality. Um, I pray that you'd be with us as we study this, uh, help everyone here learn as much as I've been learning, and help them to be better at practicing it than I am. And uh, just... Uh, Give us a good night and a good fellowship. I ask all this in your name. Amen. Okay. So, last week we were talking about hospitality. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about hospitality and how it's sort of like the lost art of Christianity. Or it seems like it in our modern society. At least in American culture. Because we shared some stories about how we've been to foreign countries and they've seemed really great there. Just really ready to accommodate. And you have to excuse my stuffy nose. I have terrible allergies. But um, today we're going to go a little farther, and we're going to look at hospitality in the Bible, and examples of it, and plus how radically different the idea of hospitality was in the Bible than what it is now. And I want you guys to think about, is that a, just a cultural thing? Is it just something that that's how it was then? And we don't really have to be obligated to do that right now. Uh, or is it a little cultural, but on the whole, hospitality is something that we need to practice and make it more like what we read here. So those are some questions for you guys to think of. Um, the more I look at hospitality, the more I realize that I'm not very good at it. Like, I didn't do this thing that Beverly just asked me to do. I just realized that <laughs> she asked me to do the candy or the offering, and I said, no, that's okay. I'm like, really, you should do this. No, that's okay. <laughs> so, and then just over the past week, I've been looking, I'm like, wow. Okay, I guess, I, I'm just seeing all these different areas where it's like, you don't even think about where you could be hospitable, and yet you're not. At least I'm not. Maybe you guys are a lot better. Um, so, when we look at the word hospitality, we sort of touched on this last week, that the root, if you look at the New Testament, which was written in Greek, I assume all you guys know that. We translated it into English, and we translate one of those words into hospitality. And actually, in Greek, it's a couple words put together. And if you were going to do a more literal translation of that, it would be love for strangers. Not just hospitality, but love for strangers. And if you look at in the past, you realize how big of a deal hospitality was. So, imagine this. You're going on a trip in, you know, I don't know what BC, 4000 BC or whatever. <laughs> you've got like a camel and that's about it. And you're going across a desert and you're going to run into maybe one or two people living in little shacks along the way. You have no hotel. You have, uh, you don't really have a tent that you can pitch. Because uh, that's extra stuff that you don't want to take with. And uh, you're counting on if you go to some place, if you find someone, they're going to let you in and let you stay the night there. Uh, and really, that might seem weird now if we're like heading down 
we want to take a trip to like Washington D.C. and we get tired halfway down, we're like, hey, yeah, we could just you know bum a night off of these people, just the random people along the the highway, which would just be weird because I mean, if it's if it's dark and you someone comes knocking on your door, you have no idea who they are, and they're like, hey, can I stay here for the night? I'm just passing through. You're gonna be like, no, <laughs> why? Why would you even do that? And so today we we place a lot of that responsibility on like hotels, obviously, and different programs like homeless shelters or traveler centers and stuff like that. But in the past, when people were traveling, like it was sort of a, a give and take thing. I mean, the people who were hosting them, yeah, they were giving up their privacy in their home for an evening, making space for a total stranger. But in the past, there wasn't CNN or Facebook or anything like that. So the traveler from somewhere else would bring news from somewhere else, and they'd have, like, this real dialogue. You know, they'd sit down over a meal, uh, as you guys were just doing a little bit earlier, and having some conversation. And so you would get not only fellowship with someone, outside of your little sphere, uh, because you got to remember, if like a horse or a camel is your only way of traveling, if you're not going to get very far, like you can't buzz down to Lancaster for a day and be like, hey, <laughs> but so, so it was a way of building community and it was expected. In fact, hospitality was so much a part of the ancient world that a lot of places considered it one of the defining points of civilization like one of the point one of the indicators that this was a civilized society is that you would have this hospitality that you'd offer shelter to people passing through and just be willing to give and offer your own stuff for them and i mean compare that to today with what we define like what it, what it determines what's a civilization you know advanced thought advanced science math stuff that's bad stuff but it's uh, a lot different. But back then, if you were willing to bring someone in, make them a cup of coffee or whatever sort of exotic drink, you'd be like, okay, hey, these are civilized people. I can hang out with them. I'm not going to eat me or anything. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was, it was a big deal. Also, what's really interesting, <laughs> it, well, it's true, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, here's the you You get stories from all over the world, and I mean, you hear this a lot in Christianity, but it, it happens in other cultures and religions too, where people will be doing a kind deed to a stranger, and then that stranger turns out to be like some sort of divine being, you know, or like they'll turn around and they're not there. And like you see this in Christianity, in Islam, in Hindu culture, you'll see people will have done these things for complete strangers, just out of the kindness of their heart, and then the stranger either reveals himself as, you know, the touch by an angel, light comes on over their head and starts saying, I'm an angel, or something like that, but no, or not really. Or they just disappear, or they get others, some other kind of indicator. Like, I don't actually follow that one at all. Okay. Um, Barry, there's an old woman knocks on the Door. Like, hey, can you let me in for a night? No. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There you go. I'm gonna be yeah. To be an ugly beast. And then he gets kissed by the Yeah. So he wins. Yes. Okay. But not because the 
No. Uh, so you have these this idea of the divine testing humans' hospitality. And that's an interesting concept. Uh, we're all familiar with that verse. Uh, some people have entertained angels without even knowing it. We actually read that verse last week. Do you guys know where that comes from? Well, what, yes, it actually refers to Abraham's visitors. Uh, and that story is found in Genesis 18. And I'll read that to you quickly here. I am sorry, I'm so stuffed up. This is terrible. Okay. This is what it says. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mar Mamre. That sounds really loud. <laughs> okay. While he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. And here you go. Here's how he showed hospitality. He said, "If I found favor in your eyes, my lord." Do not pass your servant by. Let let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed, then go on your way, now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham turned into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, get these three, get three sihas. I don't know what that 20 is. Twenty quarts. Twenty quarts, which sounds like a lot. A fine flour, and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf, I don't know why he'd bring curds <laughs> and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under the tree. And they go on to have some interesting conversation. Now, uh, it's generally understood that uh, these were divine messengers. Uh, even though it's not, it's not ex explicitly said, uh, you have that being indicated, and so that might have something to do with Abraham's hospitality. But even if it did, look at the way that he greets these people. He bows down low to the ground. He not only gets them water to bathe themselves, he gets them food. He goes and yeah. Kills a good calf, which I'm sure was a messy business. He tells his wife to get in the kitchen and do <laughs> the work. <laughs> but uh, he makes all this stuff just for these people who are passing through. And he says, and then you'll. I'd just like to point out that he was cooking the cow. He was cooking the cow. Okay, so, I mean, basically, you have the, the golden picture of marriage right here the man on the grill. The woman in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, basically. So they had good eats while all this was going on. And, I mean, this was an unexpected visit. And look, but they one thing I noticed is they were prepared. Like, they had food hanging around, which has something to do with how they were living, obviously, because they were living off the land. But they had massive quantities, like 20 quarts of flour. Yeah, like, I mean, it's just Abraham and Sarah hanging out there in the desert. Maybe they had servants and stuff like that, so. Lots of servants. Yeah, lots of servants. That's right. Where does Ishmael come from? But you from? have to be ready to have lots of servants. Yes, you do. 
The point is, they they didn't hesitate. They didn't stop and think, well, wait, can my budget afford this? And they just made what they had and gave it. So that's a good example of Old Testament hospitality. And if we go by that verse that was in the New Testament, Abraham wasn't aware right away that these were messengers from God, right? Because it says that he showed kindness to them and he didn't even know it. Now, eventually it was revealed, but... So Abraham knew what was expected and what should happen according to hospitality. It was just sort of an understood thing that was built into his way of living. Now, here I think is a bit more of a, a bit of a more extreme example of hospitality, and it really shows how far we've come. So, if you look at First Kings seventeen, and starting in verse seven, First Kings seventeen. This, yeah, this is a story about Elijah and the widow, which I'm sure you've heard before. But, uh, 17, 7, okay, Our, and I want you guys to pay attention to uh, Elijah's request, okay, because Elijah in this case is the stranger, and see if it seems like it, it would jive in today's society, or if this even seems like this was how he should have acted. It says, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go up, this to him is uh, Elijah. Go at once. Oh, seven. Sorry. Now we're at nine. <laughs> Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, I think. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. That's really morbid conversation. But, but listen to what Elijah replies to her. He says, don't be afraid, go home and do as I've said. But first... Make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. Go die. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> because he says, you know, God God has said the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry. Okay, and so the Lord gives rain on the land. So she has, she can take Elijah at his word there. But look at what she's saying. She's just said... I'm going to make the last bit of food that I have for me and my son. We're going to eat it, and then we're just going to sit there until we die. And Elijah's like, that's great. I hear you and everything, but I need some bread. Can you go get me some bread? Like, really? It sounds, and if you're an objective observer here, Elijah kind of comes off as a jerk, doesn't he? Now, to his, to his, credit, to his credit, God had told him that this widow was prepared. Obviously, the widow missed that message somewhere because she was getting ready to just, you know, despair and die. And the interesting thing is, though, she does get this uh, promise from Elijah: your your food's not, or your supplies aren't going to run out until it rains again. But she's taking him at his word. She doesn't have any real concrete reason that 
she should believe that. But the strange thing is, she actually does this and goes and uses her last bit of flour and oil to make Elijah some food. That's pretty extreme. Uh, if you can remember, it was like, what, seven years ago, Katrina? Okay. Uh, like, after the, the flooding and everything, the kind of looting that went on, and the stealing, and the, ah, if I have it, it's mine, I'm not giving it up. So, this is a situation sort of like that. There's a famine in the land, food is scarce, people hold on to what they have, and, I mean, if you don't know where your next meal's coming from, if it's the last bit that you have, is your first instinct to be like, I can give this to a guest, I'm, I'm ready to entertain company. Of course not. I mean, even now, we have an abundance, and it still takes us like a week to prepare for people to come over, because we have to make sure we have everything in place. I mean, it's just, compared to that, it just is ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> I, I mean, I never really stopped and thought about that, but putting this in comparison to if there was a similar situation going on today, here in Slider County, you know, the corn does not come in, well, the cows are dead, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> We're going to be, I would know I'd be possessive of my food. I mean, when I have one chocolate bar left in my stash of candy, I'm possessive of that. And I always know there's more chocolate to be had. So, I cannot imagine being able to reach into myself somewhere and pull out this hospitality that this lady does and makes this bread for Elijah and watches him eat it as what was going to be her and her son's last meal has now gone to this total stranger. Pretty radical sign of hospitality right there. I mean, can you, what would you do if a stranger came up to you and asked for your last bit of food? I mean, honestly, what would you do? I mean, I'm imagining at this point, uh, prophet, I can't say this with certainty, but I'm just speculating. Prophets were kind of a rough group of people, just like appearance-wise. Uh, prophets were uh, usually like a, a rough group of people, just like appearance-wise, because they're out, you know, preaching and not really... Yeah. What do you think I said? I thought you said prophets, but I meant you... Prophets. Oh, no, no, no. So... I'm getting that Elijah probably looks pretty rough. I mean, it is a famine. He's been out and about. Uh, and she just comes up to him, and he comes up and asks, Hey, can I have some food? What would you do if, like, a guy that looks like he's sort of homeless comes up to you and says, Hey, can I have your last bit of food? God told me I should have it. This is your last bit of You'd food. kind of be like, Hey, I worked for this, and here's something on the street. So. Yeah. That's, it's just not our instinct. America is a very individualistic country, right? I mean, our whole, the American dream is anyone can become anything in America. You can work yourself to the top. We're very, yeah, we're very proud of what we have and proud to display, look at what we've done. This is mine. I've worked for it. Why should I give it up to everyone else? So, and one other thing I want to point out from this passage is I thought it was weird that the widow 
what didn't just give Elijah the food that was going to be her portion. She gave up her son's portion, too. Like, why would you do that? Wouldn't you... Like, I, if, I'm assuming that if any of you guys, if your dad, husband, whatever, <laughs> or anything, were the head of the household, and they say, okay, there's this, we're going to give some food to this person. We don't really have it to spare, but I'm going to give up my portion. Like, okay, that makes sense. They're giving up theirs. I mean, that's very noble of them. But if they say, I'm giving up my portion and also your portion, too, tough cookies. Also, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Like, that seems a little, well, who said you could speak on my behalf? <laughs> it doesn't seem like she's very, being very uh, considerate of the rest of her household, does it? It doesn't quite fit with what our idea of looking out for our family is. We, we usually think that, well, it's one thing if you give up something for someone else, but your first responsibility is your family. But... In this, it almost seems like hospitality went beyond even her own household. Um, and that's that's pretty extreme. I mean, she's putting herself out there, and she's putting her son out there for the sake of this stranger. And uh, that's not a thing that's unique to this. This is the kind of, even through the stories that we told last week. People have very little, and yet they'll give so much to a guest who they don't owe the guest anything. This woman didn't owe Elijah anything, but she gave, even though I'm probably sure it was pretty hard. Uh, the next point I'd like to make is who often initiates hospitality? Who's the one that brings a request? Is it the person who's going to be the host and says, hey, come here, come eat with me or whatever? Or is it the stranger who's like, hey, I'm going to come eat with you. Is that cool? No? Oh, well, I'm going to come eat with you. That's bad conversation. Yeah, it does seem like inviting yourself, doesn't it? We kind of look down on that. We're kind of offended by it. If someone just shows up at your house and is like, hey, what's for lunch? <laughs> I mean... So, okay, who, so then who does this? Who, who's the normal person to start hospitality? The host. It depends on the situation. Because here in the Bible, it's the person actually coming in and asking for it. Right. And that's not something that was unique to this situation. And if you look in the New Testament, even, listen, you've all heard the story of Zacchaeus. If we look in Luke 19, Yeah, Jesus is like, I'm to your house. Yeah, you have, <laughs> you have this guy, Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector. Luke. He's a short guy, so he climbs up in a tree uh, to see Jesus. So he has himself up there, and Jesus is walking along the street and looks up, and Jesus says, and it, and it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, and listen to this. Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, look, Lord. But said to the Lord, look, Lord, I, here I, now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. 
So that's a story we've heard often. But I kind of miss that Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. Yeah, he's just like I'm coming here. And what would I mean? What would you do if someone came up on the street? I mean, obviously Zacchaeus had wanted to see Jesus, but Jesus was still a stranger to him. Is that something that you'd be okay with? Someone coming up and saying, "Hey, I'm coming to your house." Think about when there's uh, like a missionary family in the church or something, uh, or a visitor. How would you respond if they came up and said, we need lunch, uh, we're coming to your house? And how would you respond? I mean, you might be like, great, <laughs> but, but you mean you'd be kind of just taken aback. I mean, you wouldn't know, quite, you wouldn't be thrilled about it, probably. At least I know I would. I know my mother wouldn't be. I don't, is there anyone here who would be like, that's awesome? Depends on the mission. Oh, so it's conditional <laughs> now. <laughs> now we're playing favorites. <laughs> so, I mean, it would be really weird today if, I mean, it's even weird if it's your family that calls up oh, and is like. That happened to my family. Did it. My aunt and uncle called last week and were like, hey, we're coming up. Can we stay over at your house on Sunday night and eat lunch with you? Or, I mean, like, stay overnight Saturday night and have breakfast and lunch with you on Sunday and come to your church. How was that received? Um, my mom was like... <laughs> She's like, I just prayed for God to give me something tangible to work through and my, your aunt called. <laughs> that was her response. <laughs> don't get along so well. <laughs> okay, wow. So that would make it a little awkward. So, yeah. Yeah. But we can't say that we're like, oh my goodness, we're so excited to come in. <laughs> yeah. We're like, we're going to do the right thing. Yeah. And, you know, at a, at a deep, or maybe subconscious level, at least I know for me, I'd be kind of offended that the person has, like, the nerve to come up and be like, I'm staying over at your house. And they if they bring with them these expectations of I'm going to feed them, I'm going to entertain them, and everything. It's like, well, what what if that didn't fit into my schedule? What if I had other plans? It's just so hard to comprehend that being the norm, or being expected, or being prepared for that kind of thing, and being happy about it. But that's what happened in both of these situations, and in the early church, hospitality played a key role in how the gospel was spread. Specifically, where there was hospitality shown to the disciples was often a good indicator of where the gospel was being accepted. If you look at Luke 10, oh yeah, it's getting dark, guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay. Thank you. This is what Jesus said to his disciples when he was sending them out. He says, uh, well, not just his disciples. These were 72. I guess you can call them disciples, but not the 12. 
It says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. You be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So, at first glance, it kind of sounds like Jesus is telling his followers here, kind of be just like, bum off these people, <laughs> okay? But that's not the case. Because if you look in verse 7, Jesus tells them to stay in the house and eat and drink whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. See, these people were bringing the good news to the town, which is, a, I mean, that, what can you imagine, a greater gift? They were healing the sick. They were casting out demons. And so, in a sense, Jesus said, your wages are the hospitality that the people will show you. And if they are willing to show you this hospitality, if they're willing to accept you, then it's a, it's a sign that they've accepted my message, my gospel. They see what you're doing and the good that you're bringing. But if they don't, you know that this place is, they've been closed off to you. Move on from there. They've, they've hardened their hearts and they won't listen. Which can be kind of a scary thought if you took that into today's context. If a town, you know, people, preachers come in and, and if we're not welcoming of them, have we somehow turned our back on Jesus? Have we, have we sort of, it's been like as Jesus showed up, at our doorstep, and we just sort of turned them away. Because Jesus is saying here that you'll know by the attitudes of the, these towns, by the people that you minister to, whether they've accepted me or not. The, the good news that you bring them, they'll want to they'll give back in hospitality. And even more, in Matthew 10... Jesus puts it even more bluntly. Uh, you want to go down to verse 40. Jesus says this, He who receives you, he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he's a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives a even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. A reward meaning... The reward... Well, I'm, it's a spiritual reward. I'm assuming. Is it your salvation, or is it something no, I don't. like Yeah, I don't. I don't believe it's salvation. No. But um, the point Jesus was making here is that people who welcome believers and followers of Christ are welcoming Christ Himself. And I thought. 
for a second of that picture that we've seen so often of Jesus standing outside a door, knocking. Uh, and there's a Bible verse that goes with that. Can anyone tell me what the Bible verse is? Revelation. Yeah, okay, tell me the whole verse. Um, behind this, behind this, stand at the door and knock. If yeah, that last part's something that's often overlooked. It's in Revelation 3.20. Yep, it says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice... It opens the door, not I'll save him, not I'll bring salvation, not just I'll come in. I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. I don't want to read too much into that, but comparing it to this other stuff of hospitality, I think that's kind of significant. Like, in all these examples of hospitality, you have this picture of people sitting down and eating together, right? Jesus often would, he'd go to well, Zacchaeus' house, a tax collector, and he would eat with him. He would eat with his disciples. He would eat at with people who uh, were sinners, people who were religious leaders. That was how he fellowshiped and, and spread his message a lot of times. And, you know, he'd eat, and then he'd start to tell some parables or teach. And we often use that verse to talk about salvation. Jesus is standing outside the door knocking. And that's not bad to use that image. But... I think it often overlooks that last part of the verse, I'll come in and eat with him. That's sort of implying that there's a meal set there, that you're willing to prepare the meal and have it set out, that you're ready to have some fellowship together. It's not like, like salvation could just be like getting a judge saying you're not guilty, but having a meal with a friend means you're having a relationship with Jesus, not yeah. just kind of guilty. Right. Or not, that's not building. It's like inviting the pizza delivery guy in for a cup of coffee. Actually, yeah. Because it's not like Jesus just shows up at the door and is like, knock, knock, it's Domino's, here's your salvation. <laughs> <laughs> and then goes away. It's like you bring him into your house. You sit him down. You have a conversation with him. You share the same food. You have, you spend time. You give up your time. You give up your space in your house. And that's a really awesome picture of hospitality. Because if that's what Jesus is doing, we know that Jesus isn't here physically right now, but what did Jesus say? That the stuff that you do for the least of these, you're doing it for him. That when you're welcoming people who believe in him, you're welcoming him. This idea of hospitality, at least I think these when I was reading over these verses and looking at these different stories, it just, it struck me how central it was to the Christian message. How, and how much better of a picture it painted of a relationship with Jesus Christ. If, if coming in and, and not only just accepting, but sharing with him. And, like Jesus said, he'll, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. There, there's a giving and a taking going on. There's an exchange. It's not just a one-sided thing where Jesus is like has a megaphone and is like talking at the person. Like there's a conversation going on there. They're in the, they're integrating their lives together at that table.
he's not there just to eat your food. That food is just like the foot in the door. He's getting in there to actually know you. Right? Yeah. Because when you when you sit down, and we're almost done here, whenever you sit down with someone and you have them over for a meal, like, what's the thought? We talked a little bit about this last time. If you have someone over for a meal, what will they probably do? Have you over. So if you, have, if you invite someone over for a meal that you don't want to go back to their house... Like, I mean, it sort of makes you think about, well, who do I want to invite over? Do I really want to go and start this relationship with them? Does that make sense? Jesus is saying, here, we get the chance. I, I want to have that relationship. I want us to constantly be stuffing our faces with each other. No, not really. But um, to be joined together like that. So, overall, to summarize all of that blabbing, Putting this in the context of hospitality, Jesus is that stranger at the door. He's that knock that you hear saying, let me in, I want to eat with you. But what happens if we don't take the time to serve a meal? What if we don't take the time to have the meal ready? What if we don't take the time to prepare a place for him to sit? What if we don't want to give up our own food, our own resources, uh, our own time for him? And like we said before, even though Jesus is physically here with us, doing stuff for other people, doing it for people in need, is doing it for Christ. And what happens if we don't take the time to do that? Have we left the door closed on Jesus? I mean, I don't like that picture at all. Everyone wants that picture of Jesus knocking. Everyone assumes that the next comic book panel is the door opening up and everyone's happy. But what happens if we just say, go away? I have this thing to do. I don't wanna. I don't wanna give up my food. I'm al- I'm already. The budget's too tight, or something like that. I mean, those are tough questions.